Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 324, November 16th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be discussing AI-powered mini-dockpod, a Tasmanian Devil Star Reborn, AI is being merged into robotics, soil tomography reveals content, the lucid gravity has a range of 440 miles, plus or minus two hours to let it recharge. Lego gifts, counterfeit gold mine, no gold. Gifts for the coffee nerd, refilled that bottle again and again and again, and just lawyer stuff. Next on Hometown Daily. Hello everybody, I am Merwat. that is hometown.com, the AI is otherwise engaged, and uh, I want to get into the 10 articles that are already set up, we're ready to go, and so let's get right on into it. Hopefully the music isn't overpowering anything, and uh, we can get through this, uh, this news. I hope you find all of this interesting, uh, some of it isn't what you think it might be, or maybe you might think what it is based off of my level. Uh, little segment name, but we'll see. Let's get going. In a little bit. I gotta get my transition working. There we go. <laughs> so the very first article is over on the Stock Marketeers uh, channel. It has to do uh, with a business, uh, CarePod Clinics, which are autonomous AI doctor's offices where patients can privately get checkups uh, or assess, and I really shouldn't just say or assess, get checkups. It is an assessment of their heart health, mental health, cancer risk, kidney health, and other vitals, according to Startup Forward. Uh, the article is over at Market Watch. It's written by John Swartz. Um, and I, this has to be a render. This I don't think that this is actually the legit thing. Um, but I don't know. I haven't actually seen this in the real world. Uh, but it says an AI medical pod may soon be coming to a mall or office building near you. I don't know about malls. <laughs> I think they're quickly being converted over to pretty much anything other than a mall. They're dying off pretty quickly. Um, the shed side shed sized care pod clinics are autonomous AI doctor offices where patients can privately get a checkup or assess their heart health and etc. Memberships start at $99 a month. The service doesn't bill insurance, so there's no co-pays or unexpected bills. It must be pure diagnostic, and then if there is no human involved and it's purely AI, it's basically going to be learning on the fly, so consider it a beta test and a whole lot of BS test. So beta BS test. Um, and I would be worried about anything actionable coming out of it, um, at least until AI becomes much more sophisticated than it is today in terms of assessing medical health. You know, there, there are AI bots that can look at a picture, look at medical information and do an assessment, but ultimately it's a human being that looks at it and says, yeah, you know, something's got to get done. We got to do this. We got to do that. So I would be worried about it, but it is the future. I think ultimately we're going to have AI, AI doctors 
all over the place uh, because they will be tapped into the world's knowledge unless society flinches and says, no, we're not going to do that. But hey, go go look at uh, the latest Mission Impossible uh, for a, uh, as a documentary or maybe the creator. That It's a new movie about the rise, fall and conflict between humans and AI. Um, and then look at yesterday's show <laughs> to find out just how fast we are moving towards. Uh, it used to be science fiction where, where we were joking about how robots, the uh, robot uprising. And well, I posited yesterday that we have the ability now to give an AI um, sensory um, functionality features in what can be um, skin. So you wrap a robot with sensory capabilities like touch. It could tell the difference between fabric types, which means if you code it the right way, it can understand, uh, you know, pain, um, or pleasure. And thus it can learn by reinforcement one way or the other, just like humans do. You burn your hand on a stove, you stop doing it. Well, AI, will be able to assess people going into this pod and it'll be amplified much faster than doctors going through training because the doctor can only work so many hours without you know, their cognitive abilities suffering. But AI can look at you and scan you again and again and everyone is connected in instantaneous information exchange between different pods and it, it's just amazing really but the impact of this if you thought privacy was gone wait until all medical information is shared by an ai that's global and whoever has that amount of information and people are only paying 99 dollars a month and they have diagnostic capabilities where it's normally you have to sit for an appointment. You have to schedule it, take time off, etc., etc. Wait for results. Yeah, this will make economic sense, which means people will adopt it pretty damn fast. Um, with that in mind, I threw the um, link into the chat. It'll be part of the show notes. It's part of the VOD now. Go check it out and uh, you can read more about it. Just follow the link through hometown. Let's go to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. Supposedly dead Tasmanian devil star unexpectedly whirls back to life on September 7th, 2022. The Zawiki transient facility, uh, which is something that we've talked about before here at hometown, um, detected a new transient object in deep space. Uh, about 1 billion light years from Earth. The object was very bright, and now a team of astronomers believe it's a star that's come back from the dead, which is very interesting. Um, it might be the very first for something to pop back into existence. Um, and by existence, I mean reignite, perhaps, but I'm not sure. Uh, let's go through this article. Um, it's over at gizmodo.com. Let me throw that into the chat too, before I get too far into this. Um, so the articles by Isaac, Isaac Schultz and, um, 
This is an artist impression of two neutron stars merging a possible source of LF bots. Um, so let's see what they have here. So the luminous fast blue optical transient or LF bot, um, for short, the star is named AT 2022 TSD, but affectionately called the Tasmanian devil. Now a team of researchers posit that the flaring activity exhibited by the object and others like it is caused by either black holes or neutron stars, some of the densest objects in the universe. Analysis of the star and its repeated outbursts was published this week in Nature. Um, it says here, quote, I don't think anything else can make these kinds of flares, said Anna Ho, an astronomer at Cornell University and the lead uh, studies lead author in a university release. This settles years of debate about what powers this type of explosion and reveals an unusually direct method of studying the activity of stellar corpses. Um, I'm kind of curious that maybe this thing actually, um, we missed the window where we detected it or could have detected it uh, going supernova and then uh, enough material swept back in and it reignited. But I don't know. Uh, I'm not an astronomer, <laughs> just like I'm not an attorney. Um, so talk to an astronomer, but I find the, these kind of things really interesting. Um, the Tasmanian devil is an extragalactic optical transient in plain terms, an object that brightened temporarily in the sky and exists far outside the limits of our own galaxy. So the, the amount of time it's taken for it to brighten, disappear, and then come back. Um, it may be for this particular instance, the actual standard process says the devil only brightened over a period of several months for several minutes at a time, brief comparisons to supernovas and most common extragalactic transient, which can brighten for weeks. Um, they talk about others, uh, but I just found it really interesting. There could have been something that was blocking it like a black hole. Um, but normally you can see, well, there's lensing effects where if you're looking at this star and something comes in front of it, depending on its mass, it doesn't obliterate it. Light warps around it and black holes are one of those things. Um, which is why you actually see the way that black holes work. You actually see stuff around it. Uh, when you're looking at it, you don't see it. Um, it's kind of fascinating actually. So let's keep on going though. I don't want to spend too much time on, uh, one thing I'll end up soapboxing. So let me try to avoid that. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. AI is already being melded with robotics. One outcome could be powerful new weapons. I'm not really doom and gloom about this, but this is what somebody is writing about. Um, interest in the incorporation of robots into security, policing, military operations has been steadily increasing over the last few years. It's an avenue already being explored in uh, well, both North America and Europe, but it's being explored everywhere. Come on, give me a break. Um, the article is out, is over at Tech Explorer. Uh, Mark Zagas uh, from the Conservation 
sorry, the conversation, uh, put the article together and they're a partner with tech explore and, um, uh, what is the other, the name of the other, yeah, let me, uh, it's down here at the bottom, I think. Uh, fizz.org. Anyway, um, what's really interesting about this is they're talking about robotics, but I think AI is going to get merged into, if it's going to be in combat theater type uh, applications, it'll be used for robots, but I think drones, um, so self-flight, you basically tag something even remotely and it sees what that uh, tag is in a remote way. It sees it from the, the real world with its um, sensor array, but there is just some first person view pilot that just sits there and tags something and off it goes um, and it tracks itself. It doesn't it calculates everything and just does what everybody is doing right now in Ukraine. Um, so it, that is probably where I think AI is going to lead uh, that in expert systems, calculating uh, troop movements and things like that, um, risk assessment, etc. which normally is human. But um, if you can tap the world's knowledge and apply it, to combat theater, it can mitigate uh, the risk, you know? So we'll see if that happens, but patrolling bots in combat theater, etc., that that seems like a no-brainer to me. It's just going to happen. Um, it's less expensive to, you know, for something like an IED to take out a robot that's walking around and assessing a situation versus humans naturally. Um... Let's see here. Utility robots designed to play a support role uh, to humans are mimicking our four-legged companions, not only in form, but in function as well. Mounted with surveillance technology, enable the ferry equipment, ammunition, and more. As part of resupply chains, they could uh, significantly minimize the risk to harm or risk of harm to human soldiers on the battlefield, which is what I just got been saying. Um, it is an it is important to take note of how each aspect of this melding of weaponry and robotics operates in a different way. Um, although the robot itself is semi-autonomous and can be controlled remotely, the mounted weapon has no uh, autonomous capability and is fully controlled by an operator. Um, although a drone, the arming mechanism could be manual, but flight characteristics and, and uh, angle of attack that could be completely calculated by AI. I really do think that that's the future. Um, you just basically mash the button, hit the, or flag the target from, I mean, it could be anything really, a any satellite, real-time satellite or flying camera, essentially. You just point it at something and it takes over. Um, there's a video here um, from the U.S. Marines test fire, the M72 law from a robotic goat is what they call it, which is basically one of the Boston Dynamics kinds of uh, uh, robot dog, but with uh, a hard point on its back and it's just walking around. Um, pretty amazing. Um, 
we're a weird species because we exploit technology to do great harm on other people. It's just, it's unsettling. Um, I love the technology, not the weapon. I, I wish that we didn't have cause for deploying it, but that is the nature of it. Uh, we can't have nice things because somebody else wants to take them away. Let's keep going though. Uh, oh, before I do that, let me throw that link into um, chat so that we're all caught up. There we go. So this next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Microplastics in soil, tomography with neutrons and x-rays shows where particles are deposited. This is an ongoing um, segment uh, almost daily as microplastics become more and more well-known um, to the public and to uh, subject matter experts in various fields seeking to mitigate the impact of microplastics on pretty much everything because we are finding them everywhere. It says it is a real problem. Microplastic particles are everywhere. Now a team from the University of Potsdam and HZB has developed a method that allows it for the first time to precisely localize microplastic particles in the soil. I actually have been working on uh, utilizing variable light to try and find microplastics in various materials. Uh, it's very, very difficult to do that out in the wild um, where the microplastics are in situ in a lab. You can darken everything and have it phosphoresce or um, chemically respond to some catalyst. But we're talking about, you know, sub millimeter at times um, material. So it would be damn near impossible, but maybe this actually does it in bulk. So the article, oh, and before I, oops, before I release this, let me, what just happened? Um, hold on a second. That was really weird. Something just happened um, to my stream. Okay. Um, so I put the link into the chat and uh, let's go over to the source. Uh, the source is Helmholtz Association of German Research Centers. And uh, they use tomography uh, to assess the soil uh, with neutrons and x-rays to show where particles are. So these are approximately 20 millimeters across. Um, so I don't know that that's actually kind of large, um, but maybe they can reduce it. Um, the fidelity of that and make it finer. Yeah, we're still streaming. So, uh, the method was validated on prepared samples. The team used a special instrument at the neutron source. Uh, of the Institute Lou Langevin in Grenoble to carry out neutron and x-ray analysis simultaneously. Microplastic particles are a major environmental pollutant today. Um, road traffic accounts for a particularly large portion or proportion of it. Yeah, it's coming off of tires and stuff like that. Um, in Germany alone, uh, tire wear is said to generate around 100,000 tons of microplastics every year. In addition to particles from AstroTurf, cosmetics, washing powders, clothing, disposable masks, plastic bags, and other waste that end up in nature. 
Um, today I used a, a thing called a scrub daddy, which is this giant plastic, um, uh, scrubber. It's basically like a hockey puck, but twice as thick. And, um, it responds to heat. So it becomes more pliable when it gets hot and it seizes up when it gets cold. And the only thing that came to my mind when I grabbed it was this thing is probably launching microplastics all over the place. Um, so those plastic scrubbers that you're using wherever you're using them is probably contributing to microplastics. They'll be in your sink, in your drains, on your hands, on the, the dishes that you're uh, cleaning. Um, and even if they drain, if you think they drain off, they may be small enough that they're just stuck there and you just don't know it until, well, who knows when. So I don't know though, I haven't done any research on that particular item. Um, but we know that plastic and the more flexible the plastic, the more it breaks off little pieces. So particularly food containers. Um, when they get hot and the flexible, uh, elements, the flexible kind, not the hard plastic ones, but even the hard plastic ones do it. It's basically a hot mess folks, microplastics everywhere. Anyway, um, in their study, professor Sasha Oswald and Dr. Christian Totsky. Yeah. Um, have now presented a method to answer these questions. How do you find them? Um, they work closely with the team led by Dr. Nikolay Karjilov <laughs> from HZB, whose expertise went into setting up a unique instrument at the Institute Lou Langevin uh, in Grenoble. There, samples can be analyzed with neutrons and x-rays to create 3D tomography simultaneously, i.e. without altering the sample. So they basically made like a little mini core apparently. While neutrons visualize organic and synthetic particles, x-ray tomography shows the mineral uh, particles and the structure they form. So they provided slides. So I'm really curious about this. Some of the questions are already being analyzed. A soil sample is floated in a heavy salt solution whereupon the individual components separate according to density. Plastic and organic materials float to the top while mineral particles sink. The mixture of organic material and plastic particles is then treated with hydrogen peroxide, for example, whereby the organic materials uh, decompose and the microplastics should remain. Although this method makes it possible to determine the quantity and type of microplastic in a soil sample, information is lost as to where exactly these particles accumulate in the soil and whether they change any structure in the soil. Um, so for me, I didn't want to um, I didn't want to use uh, like a catalyst or anything. Um, what I wanted to do was use variable light because plastics can phosphoresce with different light. They basically glow, but you need pitch black, um, to make them do this. So you turn up the soil and you look at it with different kinds of light. So it's one way of doing it. This is another way. There are other ways. Um, this, they're actually trying to see just how far microplastics are penetrating soil. Um, and, but I think what they're going to end up finding, and they may talk about it here in the article, um, that depending on how the soil is structured and how it's compacted, and you're going to find it deep down inside where water can pull it down further, um, or it'll be just sitting up on top. 
So let's see what they say here at the bottom. Um, we were able to show that fragments of such films with plastic thin layers um, can change the water flow of the soil. Microplastic fibers, on the other hand, create small cracks in the soil matrix. It is not yet possible to predict how this will affect the soil's hydraulic properties. For example, its ability to store water as droughts and heavy rainfall become more likely with climate change. It's urgent to answer these questions. There have been other research papers published that do show that it has the ability to limit the permeation of water through the soil matrix. So that, it, although all of this needs further research, it's certainly apparent that, um, <laughs> hmm, let's see. Let's use a little logic today. If you fill something up that amounts to a plastic bag or container and then start dumping water into that area, I'm pretty sure the plastic is going to pen it all in and stop it from permeating, percolating through the system. Um, and if it's the other way around, it's if, if it's upside down, it's shielding from water going around it. So it's actually deviating the course of water. And that's what the research in other papers have shown. So, um, yeah, the more we know, the better we can respond to this. But I think the only solution is to move away from plastic, um, or at least if we can figure it out, create a mill of plastic that doesn't lead to decomposition. But then you basically have landfills filled with something that never breaks down. And you can't really have that. So back to what I say is necessary metal and glass for our containers. Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in Late Night Geeks. The all-electric Lucid Gravity SUV finally makes its debut with 440 miles of range or 220 miles out and 220 miles back and somewhere in there. If you go beyond it, you're going to have to sit around for a couple of hours while it charges. EV maker Lucid took the long-awaited wraps off the gravity, an all-electric three-row SUV with a range that could hypothetically leave a Tesla Model X, Fisker Ocean, or Rivian R1S uh, stuck behind at a charging station. Yeah, they're all going to be sitting right next to each other. The importance of the Lucid gravity and more aptly the reception it receives is, according to the article, existential. Okay, well, let's see. The article's over at techcrunch.com. Harry Weber and uh, Kirsten Korosek are the authors of this. I thought that this thing would be bigger, as in, like, higher, taller, more vertical, like a, you know, like what seems to be happening, which is the wall of car. Um, but this basically looks like a a wagon. Um, so they say here that uh, it's existential for the EV maker, the Lucid Air Sedan, the company's first EV, has received positive reviews. However, demand has softened this year, forcing the automaker to slash prices and lower its production guidance for the year. Uh, this is the Gravity. The Lucid Gravity Basics 
bombastically, they wrote bombastically that the EV heralds the dawn of a new era for our electric SUVs. No, they're all going to be sitting at a charging station somewhere, particularly if you're trying to travel cross country. If that, if this thing gets 440 miles, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't want to say I'll eat my hat because somebody will figure out a way to actually get this thing to go 440 miles, but it's going to be all downhill and a hurricane uh, and hamsters pushing from behind. But yeah, I just, I don't buy it. Um, Lucid also claims that the vehicle can go from zero to 60 in less than 3.5 seconds, about a second longer than what the Tesla claims uh, for its model X plaid, which is the higher end model X. Um, I'm curious about the price, so let's see if we can get there. The company says the seven-seater SUV will have a starting price under $80,000. So they don't actually have it. <laughs> it will have a starting price. Yeah. If they would have said it does have, <laughs> uh, it has, not will have. Uh, there's always this equivocation there with the word will under $80,000. So this is what it looks like inside. Anything EV, it's always like a sleek, minimal type of um, interface with a high-tech um, screen, like a dash, a high-tech dashboard. Basically, it looks like NASA. Um, which, you know, I don't know if that's actually the right comparison anymore because NASA screens are becoming, well you know, 34 inch displays and that's it. Everything else is just a button click away. Not like the old days. Um, so it says the vehicle can apparently charge like a Tesla gulping down as much as 200 miles in range after about 15 minutes at a fast charger. The company says the seven seater will have a starting price under $80,000. 15 minute fast charge for 200 miles. I don't buy it. Um, somebody will, and then they can tell me. 6,000 pound towing capacity too. Yeah, it's not going to get 440 miles with anything. Any junk in its trunk is going to drag that distance down quite a bit. Um, okay, so let me throw this into the chat. I didn't do that. And uh, we'll go on to the next article. Come on. Okay. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. The nerdiest Lego gifts, big and small. The holidays are coming and no matter your age, that can often mean sitting down after all your gifts are unwrapped, surrounding yourself with bags of plastic bricks and building a new Lego set. So let's go over and look. This is from Gizmodo. We have another one from Gizmodo about gifts. James Whitbrook um, put the article together. io9 has your guide to the coolest Lego sets for the geeks in your life, from the biggest and splashiest to the ones that won't break the bank. Um, interesting. Okay, well, anyway. Um, how about the Lego Natural History Museum? Hmm... I don't know about that. So I wonder, is this really, did they do it like, oh, wow, that's weird. Lego Lord of the Rings Rivendell. 
$500. Star Wars Battle of Endor Heroes. That's 40 bucks for five uh, figures, but not minifigs. These aren't minifigs. These are little Lego. It says Lego's Funko Pop-esque brickheads aren't for everyone, but if you're buying a Star if you're a Star Wars fan and don't want to get them a massive vehicle, then uh, this set celebrating the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi brings you cutesy versions of some of Rebel Alliance's finest heroes. How about Lego Pac-Man Arcade? That's $270. Lego Super Mario Piranha Plant. That it's huge in the picture. I don't know how big it is, but it's 60 bucks, so it can't be too big. Um, Lego art. I've seen a couple of these. These are pretty cool. Um, kind of a piece of cake to put together. Uh, and this one actually has some dimensionality to it. So it's actually coming off of the, the um, frame. It's pretty cool. How about the um, executor or executor, if you want to say it that way, um, Star Destroyer. That's only 70 bucks, so it's got to be small. <laughs> and uh, many more. Let's just, um, I'm going to, well, I want this. Lego Star Wars Ultimate Collector Series X-Wing. I don't really want it. Um, but it's 240 bucks. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want it that bad. Yeah, in essence, I want it, but I don't want it. Um, how about a Ghost Rider mech and bike? Interesting. Um, DC Superheroes Batcave Shadow Box. That's $400. Come on, folks. I don't know if this is the economy for that. So let me throw the link into the vod the chat and uh, it'll be in the show notes over on youtube and the podcast so you can check it out too there's more there uh and i always encourage people to go and check it out uh let's go on to the next article uh, this next article is over in hometown daily this is what the largest ever seizure of counterfeit shoes bags and other luxury items looks like authorities in new york recently announced the largest ever seizure of counterfeit goods in the u.s the 219,000 counterfeit items seized include, um, they must have combined it all, 219,000 bags, clothes, shoes, and other luxury products. Um, let's go and look at it uh, via Business Insider and Kylie Kirshner um, is the author. This is a picture, not all of it, um, of the counterfeit goods seized that were kept in a storage facility in Manhattan. Um, it's millions of dollars. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Well, they bumped this up. I don't remember seeing that it was only, I thought it was in the hundreds of millions, like $200 million, but this says federal authorities in New York city just made the largest ever seizure of counterfeit goods worth an estimated $1.03 billion. Roughly 219,000 items in the large scale operation were seized. This is more of what they found, which was like entire uh, pallets of um, boxes full of counterfeit goods seized at a storage facility. 
Authorities said two individuals were arrested and accused of trafficking in counterfeit goods, ran their operation out of a large storage facility, plus an additional off-site location, both in New York City's Manhattan. That was an expensive operation then. Uh, they each face a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. Um, Canal Street in New York City's Chinatown is famously known as a place to buy knockoff goods, though it's not clear exactly where the seized storage facility was located and where the goods were intended to be sold. Um, they had stuff like hanging from the pipes and stuff. It was, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've always had a problem with this because if you buy something somewhere online, you never really know. And if you're not an expert in it, you may not notice that it's counterfeit. Um, it all depends on the dedication the crafter has. At some point though, you're basically, no, it's not, that's not even close to being true. At some point, I was going to say at some point they're dedicating so much effort that they might as well create their own product, but it's part of the process of making money off of another business's goodwill and name. And then in the process, because the quality isn't exactly the same, it drags down that brand. So I have zero problem with a business going after counterfeiters um, because they basically you know, ruin the reputation at least until they're caught then it, everybody finds out so um, it says here and International Chamber of Commerce and Frontier Economics predicted in 2017 that counterfeiting and piracy would drain 4.2 trillion dollars from the global economy by 2022 um, yeah, it's a, they also say that an expert told Business Insider that um, the true estimate, the true cost probably exceeded that. Um, pretty amazing. You know, I mean, there's somebody that's knocking this stuff off. I can't imagine where it's coming from, though. Where or oh, where could it possibly be produced? Hmm. I've, I've no idea. Somebody help me out. Um, so the next article is over in the mobile channel gifts for the absolute coffee nerd. Yeah, we had one about Lego now, not Legos, Lego, Lego bricks. Now we have coffee and this is not your average coffee gear list. The author of this grew up around coffee, working at their un uncle's coffee shop, starting at age 14. Then they've gathered Roughly 10 years of experience working in specialty coffee shops. So for them, coffee is a personal and professional obsession. And they're truly fascinated um, with some of the items. Some of these are going to be wildly expensive because I am one of those people who are very interested in the tech around coffee, uh, mainly because there is such um fanatical following of the bean i even have a channel that is called the order of the bean um that's dedicated to coffee and coffee culture and so this kind of spoke to me i don't think that i would ever be able to justify purchasing any of this because coming out with a title like absolute coffee nerd basically means that this stuff is going to be wildly expensive so the deck statement says do you have a loved oh sorry do you have a loved one who makes their morning joe like they're on iron chef 
Here are some tech-enabled GIFs they can get a little jittery about. Maxwell Zeff is the author. This has to be a render. This doesn't look this doesn't look like a real picture to me, but okay. Um, and I think it's just a grinder. So let, let's see here. Uh, it's uh, Gizmodo Graphics and Nomad. Nomad is the manufacturer, but Gizmodo is where this is sourced from, This uh, the, the article. So uh, it says, this is not your average coffee gear list. Um, so let's let's get ready. This I know about the fellow Stag EKG coffee kettle. Um, it's expensive. So um, let's see here. Oh, um, so let me see if I can find more information about this. So the Stag is a beautiful as it is practical, replacing the ugly stopwatch and thermometer on your countertop with a modern eye-catching design that will enhance your morning routine. Let me pause this. Um, this is not the $1,000 coffee maker, but um, this is what it looks like, which is basically this sleek, it looks more like a teapot, but high end um, with a spout that starts at the very bottom. Um, and uh, is kind of like a somebody took a a metal straw and just jammed it into the bottom and then bent it upward but this thing is really expensive if i remember right it's like 400 dollars uh, it says here that it's 200 165 but i swear there's yeah see it says fellows pro version um this is not the the pro version so this kettle raises water to exactly the right temperature. So you'll never have to guess what just below boiling is ever again. This is so that you can do your cold pour, I suppose, uh, or your pour over. Um, they're recommending this model instead of fellows pro version because they haven't been able to figure out why you need Wi-Fi updates um, for this. Uh, and their added features just seem to overcomplicate it. So the stag is what it's called. So what else do they have in here? West Bend Vintage Poppery Popcorn Maker. That's not really coffee. What? Why would they? What? This is a coffee thing. Why would they do that? Anyway, it's 60 bucks. It looks like a, a an, well, it is a vintage popcorn popper. The X Bloom. Um, this is the most advanced coffee machine that the author has ever seen. The X Bloom comes with X pods which are airtight containers that double as a brewing vessel and coffee filter containing freshly roasted beans um, from some of the best coffee roasters in the world. Each X pod has an RFID tag uh, that when tapped against your X bloom machine will automate, automate your machine to specifications designated by the roasters themselves. So it'll dial in custom water temperature ratio, grind size and pouring pattern <laughs> exactly to that specific coffee bean yeah it's eight hundred dollars the ozeri pronto digital kitchen and food scale um man it's only 15 bucks but for crying out loud it says scales can get very expensive with other options like the pearl being 150 dollars or the hario v60 drip scale at 60 dollars yeah just get your basic one how about the wilfa performance coffee maker that looks like it's deconstructed in the uh in the graphic but 
It says the first model, the Wilfa Precision, came out in 2014 and it was highly touted on coffee blogs and promoted with a strong marketing campaign. However, it did not sell well because of the pump failures um, causing Williams Sonoma to drop the product altogether. Wilfa, ashamed of its public failure, retreated from the US market for six years. This, though, it says um, this coffee maker is a collaboration between world barista champion and legendary Norwegian appliance maker Wilfa. And it's $250. Um, kind of interesting looking. It's a looks like a minimalist coffee maker that does a pour over um, into a container, into a glass carafe. Um, but everything is really clean like it's i don't think you can get much simpler without the very next thing which is the chemex which is nothing more than a glass carafe you put a filter in it you heat up your water you throw your coffee in the filter you pour your <laughs> water over it it says the chemex has been around for 80 years and it's still one of the best pour overs on the market it's 50 bucks you can probably get it cheaper um, in various other places the breville dose control uh, pro uh, these uh, coffee grinders can be extremely expensive. Um, there are some people who just swear by these really high-end um, grinders because they don't leave any grind uh, ground coffee in the container. Um, and so what you put in, you get out, and there's no cross-contamination between one grind on one day and one grind on the next day. So people don't like stale coffee grounds um it's 160 bucks and all this does this breville um is uh, make uh, what appears to be nothing more than espresso um, grinding straight into your um cup so yeah i don't know it says there are 60 second 60 settings from espresso to french press allowing you to dial in your coffee routine so, um, <clears throat> it, yeah, I saw the dial, but, um, the way that it's presented, it's, it looks like it's for espresso in particular. Um, and they've got several others that I would say go and check out. Um, but one that I wanted to talk about was at the very end, uh, actually, no, it's about halfway through now. Um, the nomad, which was the render that drew me into this. Uh, the jaw-dropping piece of coffee gear that lets you take espresso into the outdoors. Um, let's see. It's $300. Actually, no, that is at the very end. They say why they like it. This is a shockingly simple, awesome-looking piece of gear that a coffee fiend would uh, just get excited about. So it says no electricity needed. It is an all-in-one espresso maker, apparently. I think you just pull down on the handle and it'll um, make your coffee. So seems pretty cool. Um, manual ones are actually allow you to do some pretty controlled pouring. So always fun if you're into that kind of stuff, if you're a coffee nerd. Okay, let's keep going. Um, we've got two more articles. This next article is in Late Night Geeks. Refilled wants to save 100 million plastic bottles from the landfill. I've actually used a similar device. Um, I would probably say about every other day I end up on average using one of these. 
Um, so the Australian government recently set up new packaging regulations after an official review found just 18% of plastic pa uh, packaging is recycled, falling far, 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 far short of the 70% target by 2025. Refilled is a Sydney-based startup that wants to help with its smart drink dispensers, which are meant to be used with reusable bottles. Now, this seems to be this over-engineered apparatus that frankly, it looks like should be a water fountain spigot. <laughs> um, but it has a, the, the one that I use uh, regularly actually has a motion sensor in front of it. So when you block its sensor, it starts pouring, you take your container away, it stops. It keeps track of how many um, uh, gallons of water and how many containers would have been used, etc. But this is refilled announced today that it had raised 1.3 million Australian dollars, about 845 US dollars as a seed round led by impact investor Melt Ventures, along with participation from Envato co-founders Cyan Taid and Collis Taid. Um, it will use part of the funding to manufacture 100 of its drink stations called Refiller at its factory in Penrith, New South Wales. Um, before starting refilled, founder Ryan Nelson was one of the co-founders of Food Bomb, an Australian startup that aggregates wholesale food suppliers for restaurants. This gave him insight into different challenges in the food industry. I don't know though. It seems to me like this is already on the market. So I, I don't know what the revolutionary aspect of this is. It's not really disruptive. Um, and I they're talking like it's a startup and only in Australia. Um, so here in the States, these things are all, they're all over universities and uh, business campuses. Um, I, you don't normally see them in the wild, um, but they're typically tied to some institution, some organization. Um, I don't think I've seen them in government agencies, um, but I definitely see them in academic circles um, on the regular. So anyway, um, good luck. But this thing is going to have it has competition in every other geographic location. So this is going to be a, a very, very well to me, it's going to be a small business unless they start buying everybody else out. Wow, that got really loud. Okay, uh, let's do this last article. Uh, the last article, oh, wait, before I do that, let me throw this into chat. Doink. And uh, we'll go catch up to this article. This one is in the Law Nerd channel. Lawyer who failed to show up for hearing said he had other stuff to worry about, according to a reprimand order. Um, I called this segment just lawyer stuff in Iowa city, Iowa an Iowa city, Iowa lawyer. All right. Um, has been publicly re rep reprimanded for skipping several parole revocation hearings for appointed clients and causing a client to miss two. Ah, wow. They say because of mistakes, the Iowa Supreme Court reprimanded lawyer Thomas Rodriguez in a November 9th order. The Iowa Capital Dispatch has coverage. 
The article is over at abajournal.com by Deborah Cassens Weiss. Um, man, if I were to have done this many things wrong, it, I wouldn't have a job. I probably would be drummed out of the industry I'm in. Two parole judges had filed a complaint against Rodriguez alleging that, and it's, we're talking about people's freedom for crying out loud. Anyway, and they got reprimanded. Let me see here. What else? There has to be more. Um, I need to do something else. Um, okay, so two parole judges had filed a complaint against Rodriguez, alleging that he was not appearing for parole revocation hearings and was not returning emails or phone calls. He basically ghosted parole officers. Because he missed the hearings, Rodriguez's appointed clients had to choose between continuing to wait in jail or proceed without counsel. Both of them horrible. Um, the Iowa Supreme Court's attorney disciplinary board determined in August that Rodriguez had missed multiple hearings and was not communicating with the appointed clients. In an email, Rodriguez has said that he had other stuff to worry about besides the hearings. How about unemployment? Um, in the second, Rodriguez filed a not guilty plea, but not in appearance, causing him to miss electronic filing notices and a February 2022 hearing. The disciplinary board concluded that Rodriguez violated several ethics rules, including rules governing diligence, competence, and conduct prejudicial to the administration of justice. Of course, he's not going to immediately reply. The ABA Journal reached out for comment, and I think that this is icing on the cake. Rodriguez did not immediately reply. Yeah, because he has other things to worry about besides responding to the discovery of a ethics complaint in his history. Hmm. Don't worry. I've got other lawyerly things to do. They don't go into any other detail. Like, this person is still working as an attorney? Hmm. All right. Anyway, that is it for today. Dun, dun, dun. 10 articles. Hope you, uh, I hope that you found them interesting. Um, but we get back into the party bus, drive all the way back downtown, mash that logo and um, look to see if there's anything interesting in here. But I will probably end up going through all of the articles and um, seeing what ends up uh, fascinating me because it's 24 hours of news, little snippets, headlines uh, that I use every day to keep me informed about what's going on in the world. Um, although for me, a lot of it is um, geographically bound to the United States. I do have uh, source information from all around the world. Um, and if you know of something that is interesting, a source that you think would benefit uh, hometown, please send an email to mayor at hometown.com. I will get it, um, and, um, assess it because I've gotten a bunch of sources, uh, but I vet it to see if it has application to, uh, hometowns, um, stated purpose, which is a holistic understanding of, uh, science, technology, and society. With that in mind, I am out of here. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. If I scroll all the way back up to the top, there you go. Hometown.com. And uh, see you tomorrow. 
8 p.m. Eastern and on Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. And that way we're prepping for um, more shows to come online once a week. Um, and I'd like to do a daily uh, business and technology show on uh, Saturday and Sunday here in the future. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.